Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, experts, tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by TennisExpress.com. Check them out by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. Well, thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. I'm going to be answering some great listener questions today. Before we get to that, just two quick announcements. First of all, and I talked about this briefly last week, the Essential Tennis Podcast is up for the Top Sports Podcast of 2010. Please support the show by voting. And you only have today and tomorrow. Today is Monday the 13th and Tuesday the 14th to cast your vote. You can ca- you can vote one time per day, 13th and 14th. Voting closes on the 15th. And you can vote for the show by going to podcastawards.com. Thank you all so much who have been voting. Hopefully we win. That'd be cool. Secondly, before we get to today's questions, quickly, Tennis RX, the new course that Will and Jan over at Fuzzy Yellow Balls are putting out, is going to be going on sale on Wednesday, the 15th. Now, if you haven't already checked out the free video course that they have been putting out, it's uh, three videos now, and those total over an hour of instruction, of video instruction, go watch those before they get taken down. They're getting taken down Wednesday. So again, you have today and tomorrow, Monday and Tuesday, to go watch those free instructional videos. You can check those out by going to EssentialTennis.com slash RX. And lastly, I'm putting together a bonus for anybody who buys RX. And again, there's absolutely no obligation to buy by going to my link. You should go just to look at the free videos. If it turns out that you're interested in the full course and you want to purchase it, that's great. I'm an affiliate for that. So part of your purchase will go to support Essential Tennis. And also, I'm offering a bonus to anybody who purchases RX through Essential Tennis. And that is a clinic with Will and myself. It's going to be held in Baltimore. It's going to be an afternoon lawn clinic, probably five hours on court and an hour or so off court, socializing with you know food and drinks, etc. So if you want to spend five hours on court with Will and myself, and this is a totally free bonus for the first 20 people, only 20 people who purchase RX through Essential Tennis. And... To be totally honest with you guys, I think RX is totally worth the money anyway. I know Will has put a lot of time into it, and the the content is great. But to even sweeten the deal that much more, and I'm really happy Will agreed to do this clinic with me, I'm going to throw in totally free for the first 20 people who purchase through Essential Tennis this afternoon clinic. I don't have the exact date yet, but it's going to be a weekend, either a Saturday or a Sunday, and it's going to be in Baltimore, probably in February or March, somewhere around there. I'll get specifics to those of you who are one of those first 20 people. So again, uh, after Wednesday, RX goes on sale on Wednesday. Go to EssentialTennis.com slash RX. 
that will take you to the purchase page. And if you do decide to purchase, you'll be asked to join that clinic with myself and Will. Again, completely, completely free. So go check it out and get the free videos. And maybe I'll be spending time with you and Will on the courts in the next couple months. If you guys have any questions at all about the, the product or the clinic, send me an email to ian at essentialtennis.com. All right, let's go ahead and get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's go ahead and get started with our first question today. And it comes to us from Tony. Tony wrote and said, Hi, Ian. Recently, I have realized that in in order to improve my tennis significantly, my next step is is to improve the ability to hit dynamic shots, meaning combine strokes with footwork together. Although I can hit some decent shots on a ball machine, my strokes will tend to fall apart when I need to hit and run at the same time. How can I improve my ability to move around the ball and set up correctly so that my strokes don't break down? Well, Tony, that's a great question, and you're absolutely right. The, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there who are great at hitting good tennis shots when they're being fed to them, or it's a comfortable rally back and forth, or they're hitting against a ball machine. But being able to recreate that good technique while moving dynamically around the court is really the next level and a lot more difficult And there's a lot of skills necessary to be able to do that effectively. And I'm going to talk about those. Uh, I've got a four-part outline here. I'm going to talk about the skills necessary to hit on the run, which is going to come under three main headings. And then I'm also going to talk about how to improve each of those different aspects or, or skills needed to be able to hit effectively on the run. So... Thing number one, skill number one that you need to be able to hit on the run effectively is a is footwork specifically, combinations of bigger and smaller steps. And very often the mistake that recreational players make is they only have one size of step. They, they only have one way of moving around the courts and that's at kind of one speed and at one size step, and it's just not very athletic. What you should be doing is using a combination of bigger and smaller steps. Large steps where you're kind of striding out at full stride is for top speed. You know, to get from point A to point B is is in as short a amount of time as possible. And then smaller steps are for acceleration, quick acceleration. And also deceleration to slow yourself down, get yourself in exactly the right spot, and to fine-tune your positioning. Without those smaller steps, very often you would either overrun your target and go too far, or you wouldn't make it far enough because you only used kind of longer strides. And so you wouldn't accelerate very quickly to begin with, first of all, and then Secondly, it's very likely that you'll stride right past exactly where you should be to hit the best possible shot. You see, in tennis, uh, on uh, ground strokes and overheads and volleys, there's really one specific place where the ball should be in relationship to your body so that the stroke, the technique that you're trying to use, is as comfortable as possible. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be in exactly that spot to hit a good shot, but 
wouldn't that be nice if you're in exactly the right spot? And it's not always going to happen, obviously. You're going to misjudge sometimes. You're going to put yourself in the wrong place. But if you could get to exactly the right spot a couple of times more, you know, just per set, that's going to improve your tennis big time. And the specific pattern is, is basically this. As far as using the smaller steps and, and the bigger steps, you should be using quick little steps initially to accelerate. Think about using first gear on a car or on a 10-speed bike. It's the, the easiest gear to turn. And that's how you want to start off athletically when, when you know you have to really run and hustle to get to a ball. You should be starting off with small, quick little steps first. Probably your first, I don't know, about three steps or so, three or four, maybe five steps at the most, should be quick, explosive little steps to get your body accelerated. Then as you continue moving towards the ball, again, probably after your fourth or fifth step or so, you're going to want to start to stride out, meaning take full, long steps, which is going to help you cover the greatest amount of court possible. And then as you get close to where you know you should be, or where you think you should be, and we're going to talk about that later, uh, you should start using the smaller steps again to gather your balance and fine-tune your positioning so that you get in the best possible place on the court, if possible. Sometimes the, the ball is hit so far away from you that you don't have the option of using those smaller steps in the second half of your position, and so you have no choice but to continue using your longer strides at kind of your top speed all the way to the ball. You don't have the choice of using the small adjustment steps as you approach the ball and you actually get set to, to make your swing. But if you have the option or you have the ability to, you absolutely should be using the small steps again in the second half of your movement on the way to the ball to help adjust yourself. So as I mentioned earlier, most, I mean, all of you guys have those longer strides, all right? Everybody knows how to take a full stride and get to whatever their top speed is now. It's not to say you can't improve your top speed and you can't learn how to get faster, but in my experience, it's the smaller steps that recreational players need to improve or they don't have at all. And in my experience as well, the best way to train for that, there's a couple of different ways, but my favorite way to work on that, you don't even have to be on a tennis court to do this, is to use what's called an agility ladder. And I strongly suggest you guys go to youtube.com and and do a search for agility ladder. And that will bring back thousands of videos of athletes, some of them professional, really high-level athletes, using what's called an agility ladder. It looks like a kind of like a rope ladder, except usually uh, the rungs are plastic and they're, they're connected by rope. and eh, Not really rope, usually like a nylon type uh, cord, I, I guess, but between the rungs. And so that creates little boxes, little spaces. And there's many, many, many different footwork patterns that you can practice. Most of them, well, really all of them, really specifically focusing on agility, which is the use of small steps to move your body quickly and fine-tune your position. So buy one of those. You can buy one of those at a major sporting goods store or if you go to, you know, I haven't looked on Amazon, uh, but probably on Amazon.com, you can get it even cheaper. And go to YouTube and check out the, the different drills you can do to work on your, your footwork. Um, really good stuff. Okay, so that's the first 
part of my outline. Uh, second necessary skill to be able to hit on the, on the run is good judgment of where the ball is going. And this is something that uh, it's difficult to practice and improve aside from just playing a lot of tennis and, and really being focused on it. The, the best way to improve your positioning is cooperative rallies with a with another person so like a for example maybe a cross court forehand rally you guys aren't trying to win the point you're aiming for a specific spot on the court and doing a rally back and forth with a, an emphasis on consistency and um, accuracy I'm trying to keep as many shots in play as possible and as you do a cooperative rally like that aiming for a specific spot you should focus consciously the entire rally, maybe for five, 10 minutes on, you know, not that, not that your rally is going to last 10 minutes, but however many rallies you're able to get in in five or 10 minutes, you should be focusing on a consistent contact point, meaning the right distance from your body width-wise and the right height of contact height-wise. And I, I mean, be really, really picky about it and move your feet well enough that you consistently hit in that same spot. You won't always be able to get to that exact spot, but you should be trying to and just be really conscious and aware of where you're making contact. And I think a lot of times recreational players that they, they do these cooperative rallies, which I condone and recommend all the time on the podcast, but they only think about their target and that's great. And you know, that's good practice. You should be doing that. Or maybe they think about technique and they're, they're trying to, improve a certain part of their forehand or their backhand. And that's great too. Uh, you should be doing that too. But I, I don't see a lot of recreational players rallying with an emphasis on footwork. And very often I see recreational players rally and they hit the ball from the same place on the court over and over again, even though their contact point is different every shot. And so as you can imagine, that, that causes some problems and that cuts down on consistency a lot because you can't use the same good technique over and over again if the ball is constantly in a different place. So I want you guys to do that. Cooperative rallies with an emphasis on your positioning and pay close attention to patterns. What I mean by that is many, many, many rec players, when I say many more than once, listen carefully, many rec players make the same positioning mistakes over and over again. And the two most common ones that I see are overrunning and getting too close to the ball and being jammed up. I see a lot of players who do that over and over again on a consistent basis on either their forehand or backhand ground stroke. And I also consistently see uh, players not judge the, the height correctly and the ball ends up being too high in their strike zone or too low in their strike zone. So they don't judge the the width and they overrun. They don't judge the height correctly. Uh, usually the high ones is what I see recreational players struggle with the most. And simply, they just don't back up far enough, uh, either because they, they just didn't know it was going there or they don't know any better and they just didn't back up to get to a better spot. And so they have to make contact higher than what's comfortable and that results in a shot that's not as good. So go out there and rally and pay close attention to these patterns and make conscious changes. When you find out that you're consistently too close, you find out that the ball is consistently too high on your backhand side, make an adjustment, make a change. And very often that's just due to poor judgment. And if you're judging the ball incorrectly consistently, 
start, you know, trick yourself. Go back farther than you think you have to or give yourself more space than you think you need. Make some kind of change on purpose, consciously, to get yourself out of whatever pattern that you've been in that has put you in the wrong spot to make the best stroke possible. Really important stuff, guys. <laughs> okay, um, halfway through outline here. Uh, thirdly, and this is the, the third general skill that you need to be able to hit on the run effectively, and that is just general athleticism and coordination. The judgment super important, but once you know where it's going, you also have to have the coordination and athleticism to just put yourself in the right spot and just be a good enough athlete to move your body effectively and quickly and go to the right place. And specifically, coordinating your upper body and lower body together while on the run can really be tough. And this is what Tony is talking about. He, I, I would bet that Tony is getting, you know, physically getting to a lot of these shots, probably most of them. His problem is probably not the actual, you know, speed necessary to get to the ball. But where things are probably breaking down for Tony is just being able to coordinate together his efforts with his lower body along with still trying to make a good swing. And that's much more difficult than, than people think. It's not easy. The good news is this is something that you can improve and, and develop. You, you can. You, you can train your body to be more coordinated. <laughs> Otherwise, there wouldn't be any hope for any of us, would there? And you can do that through practice and repetition. And uh, it, 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 just be aware that it probably will take some conscious effort and it will take a bunch of repetition. Unless you're just lucky enough to be really blessed athletically, which most of us are just not. Well, you know, we're all we've talked about this before on the show. We're all blessed in different areas, even athletically. We all have different skills and some people are better in us in other areas than others. And so this just might not be an area that you're particularly strong in naturally. And if you're not, you can still improve it. Um, one thing that's really important is to to remember to be controlled and calm with your upper body, even if your lower body is in emergency mode and just you know, not frantic, but just going, you know, full tilt and you know that you've got to go full speed or you're just not going to get to this ball in time or you're just not going to get there in time to be in, in an ideal position with the ball. It's difficult to remember. And some of you guys are going to have to literally remind yourselves of this as you practice that even when you're a body from the waist down is working super hard. You know, your legs are, are pumping. You're, you're taking small steps and big steps and small steps or, or maybe just all big steps and you're barely getting to the ball and you're going just 100% out towards that ball. It's, it's very easy to have your upper body just go along for the ride and get totally out of control and totally out of rhythm and just swing wildly at the ball because that's kind of what your legs are doing and your feet are doing is just moving really, really um, urgently and really intensely towards the ball. You have to remember to relax your upper body and allow it to move smoothly and freely. And you got to remember to use good technique as, as good as possible, even when your lower body is working super, super hard. And there's just no way around it. This just takes a lot of practice or a, just a lot of natural athleticism to be able to do this well. And don't feel bad if at first you just feel really awkward when you're practicing this and it just doesn't feel coordinated and it's difficult. If it feels natural right away, 
then God bless you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're lucky. Uh, if it doesn't feel natural right away, it's okay. You, you can practice it. And that brings me to the, the final part of my talk here about hitting on the run. That is the, the specific practice. Um, how can we practice this to get better? And uh, just have a couple of thoughts here. Number one, which I mentioned earlier, was cooperative rallies with a strong emphasis on positioning and balance. So as I mentioned before, maybe a cross-court forehand rally or down-the-line rally, your forehand, your partner's backhand, uh, aiming past the service line, trying to hit a solid, deep ground stroke and emphasize you know, to yourself, you're, you're consciously focusing on trying to get to the ideal spot in relationship you know, between yourself and the ball over and over again. And just make that your focus for like a half an hour and you'll have no choice but to improve your footwork because you're not going to automatically put yourself in just the right spot unless it's something you've worked on or again, unless it just comes really naturally for you, in which case I'm happy for you, but a lot of other people hate you (laughs) if anything comes that naturally. Um, So that's number one, cooperative rallies with emphasis on positioning and balance. And then number two, feeding drills or a ball machine and put yourself on the run on purpose or push yourself really far back behind the baseline on purpose. Start in the middle of the baseline or even all the way in an opposite corner and have a ball machine or a friend feed you shots completely on the other side of the courts and practice just you know going full speed across the baseline, hopefully having time to make small adjustment steps. But even if you don't, being calm with your stroke, making a good technical swing, and aiming. Make sure you have a target and go for accuracy. And do this over and over and over again with either ball machine or partner. Again, focusing strongly on your positioning and your balance and just do it again and again. And that's my third point under how to improve these things is it'll just come down to repetition and awareness. Keep your focus on what, what it feels like to make the swing. Keep your focus on what exactly the position is with the ball uh, in relationship to your body. And keep making little adjustments as you do it again and again and again. Put in the repetition. Be really uh, conscious and aware of what you're doing. Be purposeful about it and practice it. This is what high-level players do. This is what a tennis pro is going to do for you if you go and you take a lesson is they're going to force you to work on something you might not be great at and make you do it again and again while really being focused on whether or not you're doing it correctly. And if you have enough focus, you find a partner or a ball machine who also has enough focus to be able to do this, you can improve this part of your game. Okay, so Tony... That's it, man. Again, the four different sections were a combination of, of, of bigger and smaller steps to move your body efficiently. That's really important. Number two, good judgments of where the ball is going. I know that sounds basic, but a lot of people make judgment mistakes and the same one over and over again. So be aware enough to figure that out and make a change. Number three, general athleticism and coordination, and you can improve that And number four, you can improve those different areas through repetition and through focused practice. So hopefully that was helpful to you, Tony, and everybody else listening. And go get an agility ladder that'll help you with those small steps and find a partner or a ball machine who's willing to help you work on this and you can improve it. You really can. Good luck, Tony. Hopefully you can improve this part of your game in the near future. 
All right. Before we get to our second question, real quickly, I want to remind you guys about the, the official sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and that is Tennis Express, the best online retailer you guys can go to when it comes to customer service and selection. Go check out what they have. They've Whatever you guys want, most likely they've got it, exactly what you're looking for. And you can get free shipping for orders over $75. Go check them out, please, by going to EssentialTennis.com slash express. And when you do that and make an order, a small portion of that order goes back to supporting EssentialTennis.com. So it's uh, it's really a win-win. You guys get great selection, great pricing, great service, and you support the Essential Tennis Podcast at the same time. So thank you guys very much for your support, and I thank Tennis Express as well for theirs. All right, let's go ahead and get to our second question today, and it comes to us from Adam Martinez in the Bay Area, California. He's a 4.0 player. Writes and says, social issues aside, does playing with a much lower skilled player, say more than a 0.5 USCA ranking, NTRP ranking, hurt my tennis game other than obviously lost practice time that could be spent with players more at my level? Are there ways to make the play more interesting or conducive to improving my game when I am in these situations? Well, Adam, really good question. And this is, I like that you say social issues aside, because that can definitely be part of it, especially if you're a member of a club, etc. Um, but this is something that every tennis player, if you put in the work and the effort to go out to local courts and try to work on your game, th- this this situation is going to come up. It has to eventually, because everybody's looking for somebody to practice with. And of course, everybody wants somebody to practice with who's going to be the best use of their time, which for most people, you know, they want to hit with somebody at least at their level, if not better, to get the most bang for their buck when they're out there on the court. Now, a couple of different things I want to talk about here, Adam, and we'll go through this relatively quickly. But first off, in general, I think tennis players need to be more open about who they practice with. Now, I'm not talking about you here specifically, but I, I just want to talk to tennis players in general you know, and everybody wants time with somebody better than them, of course. You know, that'd be great, right? If you went out there to your, your local courts and somebody who is 0.5 NTRP better than you to, to always push you, always give you a challenge and to, to help you improve your game was just sitting there waiting for you to show up. Yeah, and you went out and you practiced uh, for, for two hours every time that you walked out with, with this great player. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not reality. You're, you're always going to be surrounded by a wide variety of different abilities, different skill levels. And if everybody (laughs) held out for somebody who was a little bit better than them to practice with, nobody would ever have a practice partner. So be, be open, be generous about your practice time with others. I, you know, try to subscribe by the golden rule. You know, I know it sounds really corny, but if you help people out more than likely, you're going to find other people who are willing to be open and help you out as well. At least that's the general idea. I know it doesn't always work out that way, but um, try to be generous with your time. And, and 
more, more than likely the people that you're helping out who are a little bit weaker than you or maybe a bunch weaker than you are really going to appreciate it at the very least uh, and, and maybe try to help you out in the future as well when, when you need a hand. Maybe get somebody to feed you, etc. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But in general, I just want to tell you guys, be, be generous with your time and don't be super picky about who you practice with. Um, be, be nice. <laughs> All right, that's number one. I'll get that out of the way. Uh, number two, when hitting with a lower level player, where we're going to talk specifically now about when this does happen, because you will spend practice time with people who are just not as good as you, and that's fine. And yes, you can still get benefit from that. When you are hitting with somebody who's not as good as you, what's not a good idea is to do a bunch of cooperative hitting drills, which I advocate very strongly here on the podcast, um, you know, setting up a drill where you're hitting X shot to Y target and your partner is hitting X shot to their, you know, Y target. And you're trying to create a rally that's conducive to repetition and, and practice back and forth. One of my favorite ways for players to practice and get better. Unfortunately, this, this is not going to work well when there's a wide difference between the two players because the rallies are just not going to last very long. When you have one player who's significantly better and another player that's significantly weaker, the rallies are probably only going to last you know, two, three shots each because the weaker player can't handle the pace or the spin coming from the stronger player. And it's just not going to end up being good practice. So unfortunately, that's not going to work out very well. But what can work out well, two different things that I really think that you should be focusing on, Adam, and, and when you are working with somebody who is definitely weaker than you, keep this in mind so that you can get the most out of your time on the court. Number one, feeding drills, and I alluded to this earlier. You can help each other work on specific strokes or combinations of strokes through feeding, and you can just set up a simple feeding drill with a specific target and where one player feeds to the other player, tries to give them specific shots to work on. And of course, you know, only one player at a time is really working on their game in this scenario. But you can trade off every half an hour, or every 15, 20 minutes or whatever. And you, you can say, okay, I'm looking to work on my forehand approach shot. And so the other player feeds you forehand approach shots. You hit those for 15 minutes then. The feeding player says, all right, now I've been working on my return of serve. And so you you hit some serves uh, or hit a couple of serves from the service line to, to help the other person work on the return of serve, whatever. And so you, you can kind of coach your each, each of yourselves through specific types of shots. And you can really be definitely uh, working hard in your games through this. It can definitely uh, be a benefit to both of you. Now, of course, if you only have you know one can of balls, then this becomes not as good. Um, you you kind of need a, a hopper of balls or at least a bunch of cans of balls to really make this worthwhile. So if you don't have that, then this isn't going to work out terribly well. But if you do have access to a hopper of balls, then, then this can still be great. The second thing that you can do when there's a difference between player levels is competitive games. And... At this part of the, at this point in the show, everybody needs to listen to me very, very closely. This is a second time today that I'm going to say something that everybody really needs to hear and needs to listen. Um, you you need to practice closing out and beating lower level players. And I know you might think that's a waste of your time when somebody is you know 0.5 NTRP below you, um, or you know you're. you're their technique is not as good. They don't look like as good of a player. And so you feel like it's a waste of your time. Please don't have that attitude. 
can't even tell you guys how many times I've seen somebody lose to a player who they uh, who they think is not as strong as them because they don't look as nice on the court. You know, their technique is not as refined, and and yet they just find out they find a way to win. And yet the player who lost, you know, is, is will not practice with that player because they consider them to be lesser of a player than them, even though clearly. They need to work on beating exactly this type of person because they lost to them. Please don't have an attitude like that. Don't be a tennis snob. Please don't, don't, don't be like this. Uh, you can get benefit even if the person is clearly not as strong as you. And even if you tend to win easily, it's still good practice for your mental confidence, uh, for your stroke confidence, if they just give you weak shot after weak shot, you know, if they tend to just push the ball back, great. How many people complain about pushers? This is an opportunity for you to work uh, against that type of player, somebody who's not as strong as you, who is just pushing the ball in play. And it's a great opportunity for you to work on your mental confidence and your stroke confidence to be able to play against somebody like this. Um, don't be bashful about beating them by a lot. If it does turn out that way, that's fine. Be realistic, be honest, and play full out. And if it wasn't helpful for them, then they probably won't ask you to hit with them again. And that's totally fine. You can move on to somebody else. I'm not saying be mean about it either and, and be a snob the other way and say, yeah, I'll play you, and then crush them <laughs> and laugh at them about it. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but be gracious about giving them your time and then work on your own strokes, your own confidence and um, putting away players that aren't as good as yourself. Because when you go and play competition, you're going to play people who are not as good as you. And you have to, it's, it's kind of a whole separate skill, beating people who are clearly not as good as you. Many players struggle by getting nervous or, you know, getting worried. Oh, I can't lose to this person. They're obviously not as good as me. And then uh, the better player starts hitting down to the level of the lower player Anybody who's played competitive tennis knows exactly what I'm talking about, and you should be practicing against that type of player to get better at it. Even if you consistently win six one six zero or whatever, um, playing aggressively and you know you're feeling confident, that's great. You can still get use out of this time by working on something new. You can work on uh, maybe technique. Maybe you've been working on hitting with more topspin on your forehand side in practice and you're not confident enough with it yet to use it during a match that really counts or in a match that you really want to win, but against a player who's not as strong as you, you can go ahead and you know give your, cut yourself some slack. You can give away some more points and go ahead and work on something new that you've been practicing or work on a new type of tactic. Maybe you don't usually like to come to the net, and so against this lower-level player, you can come to the net every single point. And, and just practice that. You can work on specific little parts of your game that you want to add into your game in general that you normally wouldn't do against a player who's as good as you or better than you. Practice that against this lower level player, even if it means giving away games, more games than you normally would, or even giving away a set or, or a match. Um, be humble enough and have an open enough mind to realize that you can still practice specific things and get a good practice out of it and have it be worth your while, uh, even if it means practicing something new or something different that you're trying to learn or trying to get better at. All right. So Adam, that's uh, that's my feedback. Good question. Um, in review, yes, it can be beneficial, 
don't be a snob. <laughs> be, be a nice person. Uh, be generous with your time. And you can still find things to work on, whether it be uh, feeding, you know, feeding practice or competitive practice, working on something new, working on your confidence, putting away lower level players, you know, et cetera. You, you can always find things to work on. And I encourage you to do that. All right. Thanks very much for being a listener, Adam. I appreciate it. Take care and, and good luck with this. All right, that brings episode number 148 of the Essential Tennis Podcast to a close. If you're listening, thank you very much. I appreciate you being a listener of the show, supporting the show just by downloading the file and listening. I really hope it's been helpful to you and I've given you some things to think about and maybe some things to improve. That's always my goal here on the podcast. And sometime, well, or hopefully early this week, Two things. You got two pieces of homework. Go to podcastawards.com if it's before the 15th Wednesday and vote for the Essential Tennis Podcast. I would really appreciate that. And number two, go to essentialtennis.com slash rx. If it's before Wednesday, go there very quickly so that you can get those free instructional videos over an hour of instructional video. And if it is Wednesday or after, Check out Tennis RX, uh, the the full course for sale. And again, if you do decide to purchase, you will be uh, if you're one of the first twenty people, you will be eligible to spend five hours on the court with myself and Will, and in an exclusive clinic for RX purchasers. And again, to to be able to get that offer, you have to purchase through EssentialTennis.com/slash. RX. All right, that does it for today's show. Thanks very much, everybody. Take care and good luck with your tennis.